Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, and remember, I'm only as hip as my guest. And I got to tell you something, people. Before I, when I lived in L.A., I would occasionally do background work. It was always fun, and I would always get a good meal, and, and I would always run into some actors on the set, and I would talk to them, and the background people would say, you can't, you can't talk to them, they're the actors. I'm like, shut up, I interviewed them. But my guest today, I was actually in a movie he directed right before I left Hollywood, and my guest is a director. He's a producer, a great writer, an actor, and my guest is Stephen Brill. How you doing, Stephen? Hello. I didn't know about that. What movie was that? I was background in Sandy Wexler, and what happened was, I still remember it was a, oh. a big party oh. scene. It was a big party scene in a, uh, in a house, and they shuttled us up. And I was sitting there, and yeah. as a director, you probably don't notice this as much, but as background, we would. There's always an asshole who tries to steal the scene. Like, they're always trying to jump in the camera. And I kept trying to get away from this guy who was trying yeah. to do it. So it was crazy. So I worked with you. That's crazy. Now I, I can put it on my IMDb credit because it seems like all background people are doing that now. That's funny. Yeah, that's that's great. Yeah, I don't remember you exactly, but that was probably the big house up in... Uh... Uh, Bel Air, the Hadid house that um, uh, we we did the big party scene in. Yeah, there were a lot of a lot of people there. It's how now as a, as a director, how do you how do you handle when it's such a big crowd? Because as you know, if people if you don't know background actors, you know they don't do a background check. There's some weirdos. There's some normal people. And I know you have your PAs and other people running around. But as a director, has it ever gotten unruly for you where you're like these people are just out of control? Yeah, I've had that experience several times, particularly there's a movie I did called Little Nicky, um, which was, do you know that movie? Yeah. Little Nicky, yeah. Um, it was a uh, it was a two-week shoot at a park in L.A. that was supposed to be Central Park um, it, called the Arboretum out in Pasadena, and this was before what would now be done with CG or computer-generated people. We had to get 2,000 um, angry New Yorkers gathered in one park to, re to, redo, to recreate the end of the world scene at the end of Little Nicky or the potential end of the world scene. So we had 2,000 extras at one point, paid extras. This is not like show up and sit in the stands this was sort of acting there with a crowd and it was all nights too so they would show up at four o'clock in the afternoon and leave at six in the morning and it was two straight weeks of that and let me just tell you something that was that was unruly that was because they were supposed to be unruly people and it just became a party atmosphere and it was dark and they would disappear into the woods and it was it felt like um apocalypse now the bridge scene and apocalypse now only in real life where it was like, I didn't know who was in charge. Ostensibly it was me, but it was just crazy. And I actually got a Facebook from somebody who said, I remember the Arboretum 20 years ago. And I was like, I don't. And it was a background person. It was like, that was the best two weeks of my life. We just partied in the woods and I'm like, all right, that's good. Um, so yeah, it's tough sometimes, but it's really, if you look at it, it's, it's a lot of, if you try to micromanage it, it's really hard to, to set the background yourself. So you have an AD team, assistant director team, and a bunch of people, but it's, 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 it's very complicated and hard. It takes a lot of uh, getting used to. Now, 
how did you how did this career start? I know you, I know you were in, into playwriting and stuff like that in in college, but were you a creative kid or how? What was your path to wanting to create? And you've created so much. Yeah, and I grew up in uh, upstate New York till I was eleven, and then we moved to Fort Lauderdale, Florida, and that was in the seventies. And I didn't uh, maybe like. Some of the older people, uh, like myself, we weren't really didn't know that you could have a career in the arts or be a director or an actor. No one that I knew was an actor or a director, or it wasn't like a or a writer, or a screenwriter. That was just something that happened in the movies. And so that idea to be creative, even though I had a, I knew what plays were because I went to New York as a kid and watched plays, and I loved that. So that was my first um, instinct is to to write for the theater, and that was. Um, something I uh, I started to do in high school and then that sort of led out to just writing as a creative output and to be creative because the idea of making movies wasn't really possible. I mean, you could have Super 8 movies, but it wasn't like a path as it would be today. Um, so I wrote, I wrote plays, bad plays. I acted in plays in high school. I loved theater. And then I wrote uh, what would be creative writing, but journalism was sort of the the umbrella of it because I worked for the school paper and wrote a column of uh, a humorous column, sort of like Art Buckwald inspired <laughs> when I was a kid. And so that was a creative output about um, being a writer. And that sort of um, oriented me towards using writing as a creative um, path. And when I went to college, I went as a journalist because that's what I thought was a job. I'd seen all the president's men and I thought that was a real job and that was creative but also investigatory and interesting and then when I got to college to Boston University um, I realized they have a film department and um, and you could also work with the theater department there while you're in the film department and it was a major and I always loved movies as an audience member but I, I didn't really know you could study them and make them and so then i switched in boston to um from journalism to filmmaking a communications major and that was uh in conjunction with doing theater up there that was what sort of set me on the creative path now did you when you were up in boston did you have any mentors or what really got you kicking your feet and making you work harder well, what, going to movies was really the most inspiring thing. They had these uh, revival houses in Boston, the Coolidge Corner Revival House, the Nickelodeon, which were just movies were everywhere. And this was um, in the early 80s. So you had the, all the, the replays from the movies from the 70s. And then I started studying film and had great film professors um, at, at school. And that was super inspiring. And then on the theater end, the writing end, I was studying playwriting in a, in a um poet playwright named Derek Walcott, a uh, sort of renowned uh, Pulitzer Prize winning playwright, a poet, um, came in and I was able, and I knew right away who he was and I signed up with him the first time he came in and he'd come from Harvard and, uh, and I signed up with him and became part of his first class and I stayed with him all three years that he was there or that I was there with him and he became a huge mentor even though he was this um, uh, he was from St. Croix and he was a Caribbean sort of naturalist poet and playwright. Um, he knew the theater backwards and forwards and Shakespeare and he taught and encouraged us to write and write plays. And um, he was sort of the connection to the theater acting part, writing part, and then 
my film professors over at um, the other department were the ones who inspired me, along with going to movies, which there's nothing better than going to movies. Now, when you graduate, what are your plans? Do you want to act? Do you want to write? You're not sure. I mean, you're, you're 22. I mean, it's something that, you know, you have this idea. And once again, no one knows. I mean, so what, what was your goal when you graduated? What was your goal? Um, we had a lot of film. Uh, I had a crew, you know, a film guys crew. We all did the same sort of thing, made movies. And I did more theater, too. But and, and a lot of them were going to L.A. or New York. That was the choice. And the theater people went to New York and the film people went to L.A. And my mother happened to live in L.A. And I thought I'd go there because I wasn't ready to hack it in New York theater. I didn't. I knew that. I, I knew I was uh, afraid to try to make it as a playwright um, in New York. It was just too expensive. And I, I chose to go to L.A. where I started writing plays in L.A., which was so silly. Because even though L.A. has a theater scene, it was like, why are you doing plays in L.A.? I, so, uh, I used to know a guy I, who would, yeah. I, I knew a guy who would do plays in a place in North Hollywood called like Zombie Joe's Playhouse. And they're the most craziest plays. Yeah. But I mean, there was some, right, there was yeah. some theater, but like they were, everyone seemed trying to be avant-garde. You know, it was always like, it was, it was just weird. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there was avant-garde, and then there was the thing of anyone would leave a play in a second if they got a guest star on 21 Jump Street. So it was very, um, it wasn't as committed as New York, obviously. And I, I, and I sort of sorted that out, and then my love of film just sort of made me realize I should write screenplays. I'm in L.A. I, I got a job to make money as a PA and an assistant on for a movie director, and... I said, oh, I should, I should write screenplays um, because here I am, and, and that's what I did. I just switched from writing spec plays or on my own. I started writing screenplays on my own while I had odd jobs. So as you're, as you're doing this, uh, when do you finally get a little bit of a break? What happens? That's uh, a good question. You know, it's, uh, I'm very uh, much about just generating your own work when you can with writing, you can, you can do it. Acting's a little harder. You can't just act um, and get better. But I just grinded on scripts alone in my uh, apartment, my, my shitty apartment in Culver city. And I wrote a comedy spec that was pretty commercial and pretty funny. And that I had a uh, friend from college and um, are you, are you asking these questions, like, is, it, is your audience interested in these stories, like, uh, or you're interested in these stories, like, how it gets done? Because I, I, it's interesting, but it, the, the, the connection is through college, one of my friends started working for Gene Wilder as his development person or something, um, like a producer, remember Gene Wilder, of course, and, uh, and she, I, I wrote my script, and I sent it to her, and she said, oh, this is good. I don't, I don't, maybe Gene will read it. And, uh, but we have these agents that, you know, submit us material and you need an agent and maybe I'll send your script to the agent, um, which is a smaller agent named Lucy Stilla, who is a great small agent. And she read my spec script and she said, spec script means, you know, no, it was just wrote it on, no, no, no one was attached to it or no one bought it. And she read it and said, I'll represent you um, based on the script. And so then that little break, then this smaller agency, not CAA or ICM or those places, she started pushing my script around to various producers for whatever reason. And one of the producers she sent it to was a guy named Bobby Newmeyer, who um, was a dear friend. He's passed away. But um, he 
was a hustler producer and he had sort of um, set up a little company called outlaw uh, at Sony at um, Columbia pictures. And he got Steven Soderbergh script, sex, life and videotape on his own. And he was raising money and producing that. And so he bought my script on an option, the script I wrote called meet your match that got the agent, which was a commercial screenplay. And he optioned that and he, had a bungalow at Columbia and he put up Spiel, uh, Soderbergh and me in the same office to rewrite our scripts for him. And so that's an interesting point because I got my, he paid me like 2,500 bucks or something, which is my first paid gig when I was a kid. And that was a huge break and it set me on the path. And then he also was um, uh, creating, uh, doing Soderbergh's movie, which for trivia point I'm in because I was hanging out with him and he didn't know any funny actors that he could hire. So he said, do you want to be in my movie? And I said, sure. Cause I had done some acting and I was like, that'd be fun. And then I said, do you want to be in my movie? Thinking my movie was going to be this big commercial comedy. That would be a huge hit. And he said, sure. And, uh, and his movie went on to get made next year and I was in it and it became, it gave me an, a funny acting career, a fake acting career. And um, my movie never got made, but I stayed with that producer and developed more things. And then at the same time, I was writing The Mighty Ducks, a spec script um, on my own. And I also wrote in that period a script with Mark Marin, the podcaster and actor, because um, we were roommates. So I just kept generating scripts that then when I got that break you talked about, I had Mighty Ducks, um, I think it already been written. And... Um, and everything leads to something else, pretty much. Where did Muddy Ducks come from? I mean, did you just were you a hockey fan? I mean, what was what was the? I mean, how did he come up? Yeah, I was um, in upstate New York, uh, in Utica, New York, which is um, where I grew up. Uh, near um, is kind of where, if you saw the movie Slapshot, that whole hockey league is based around where I grew up, and I went going to those hockey games, and I loved hockey, and I played hockey as a kid, a little kid. And I wasn't very good, and I played baseball as a kid, and I, and I was, and I was on teams that never won. But I loved the sport, and I loved hockey. And then when we moved to Florida, I stopped playing hockey, concentrating more on baseball. But I always loved the experience of how great the feeling of skating and hockey was. And then, uh, and uh, but how bad I was at it was an interesting dilemma. And then when I moved to LA, um, I was rooming with another director named Peter Berg. We were friends from before, um, from high school actually, and uh, and he had a similar story where he was a uh, uh, he had played hockey as a kid and given it up, and we were living in this apartment, me, Pete, Mark, Marin, um, and uh, and we had nothing to do, and so Pete and I would go skating at a rink up the road. There was a skating rink during the day. You could have a public session, and we sort of taught ourselves to skate again, and really got into hockey. Started going to the Kings games. Um, before Gretzky even was there because it was a way to kill time. And we really fell back in love with the sport, particularly me. And I saw these little kids um, at the rink doing their peewee hockey. And it reminded me of when I did peewee hockey. And also I was trying to think of another script to write on my own. And I, I think I had just seen the bad news bears again at that period of my life. And I thought that was one of the greatest movies ever, even as a kid, when I saw it, it was so inappropriate that movie, but I thought it was fantastic. And, uh, and I saw it again, and, and I was like, man, how about uh, Bad News Bears for hockey, using you know my experience and my sort of love for the game and refound love. 
And so I wrote that um, in that apartment, uh, you know, when I was, I think, 26, right after I wrote the Meet Your Match script. Um, I wrote that. Or maybe I wrote the script with Marin, then I wrote that. Um, and just had it because I loved hockey and, uh, and it went in the shelf. And then interestingly, all the, those, that script I had when I signed with the agent, that agent got me, you know, the job with Bobby, that agent got me a job strangely with a TV producer where I wrote on a TV show for a year. And because that was such a, a big deal, CAA came in and signed me, um, as a TV writer. And when you're signed with a TV writer, they also give you a film guy who says, oh, they don't want you to do film because there's more money in TV. But I said I had this script called Mighty Ducks from three years ago or something. I think I was two or three years old by then. And CAA read it, and they sent it out just as a favor to me. And that's and that got bought by Disney, and that's, that's how that got going. Once that movie became a big hit, did you start feeling a whole lot of juice in, in L.A.? Because they always say, you know, you have a hit. Some people, something happens and they things change. A lot of actors, they get a show and they think it's going to change their lives and it doesn't. But once you get a hit like that, does your stock go up as a screenwriter? And is that what helped you parlay into directing? Yeah, definitely. Um, absolutely. I mean, I felt it more like a steady ride. Um, it didn't feel like overnight because I always equated that with just tons of money. And, you know, there was a spec market where you could sell scripts for two, three million dollars. Shane Black did that. And I was like, that would determine whether I was a hot writer if I got paid tons of money. I got paid, you know, the minimum for Ducks. And then the next deal, I got more than that, much more. I did Ducks too. And, and um, so it felt like a steady working man sort of rise. But definitely I was in the group and in the club. And had a career um and then interestingly the directing thing so mighty ducks was 91 but um i uh i wanted to direct i knew i wanted to direct after that um after ducks came out and and i remember my agent telling me well the best way to be a director and get a movie is to write a hit movie and i was like yeah write a hit movie that's 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 easy right but that is ironically not ironically, what happened, I did write the hit movie, which gave me, in that genre of kids' movies, you know, I don't think I could have gone off and made something completely different, but that gave me the um, currency to say, hey, if I do uh, a movie that might be successful like The Ducks or like The Ducks, can I direct it? And and Judd Apatow was a friend of mine, and he had a relationship with um, this company called Paravan which was a Disney, um, had a Disney deal, and it made perfect sense. So uh, lo and behold, I was directing like three years after um, Mighty Ducks came out or two years after Mighty Ducks came out. Now, when you started directing, well, you directed Heavyweights. Now, what's it like when you have to direct, yeah. when you have to direct kids and then you have, you know, you have some great talent in that. I mean, it's your first time helming behind the camera. Now, you've been on sets, I'm sure. Are you intimidated at all? I mean, what goes through your mind? And I guess with kids, it must be hard because... You know, you, you don't want to get them upset. I mean, what is that like when, when it's your debut and you got kids and stars and kids are well, kids kids are hard by nature, and particularly as they're going through uh, growth spurts and stuff. Um, and but I felt I got I figured it all out by working on the sets of Mighty Ducks. Even though I didn't direct Mighty Ducks one or two, I produced them. I was there for every. I was sort of the hockey go-to person on them, and uh, and so. I got a lot of uh, experience with what it's like to work with kids on skates, which is, you know, 
thinking about kids not on skates, it's hard, but no. So I had a feeling, I had a, a, a sense of it. So it wasn't as overwhelming when I got to heavyweight, but um, but I just developed a style with Judd, which was, you know, just sort of doing it on camera, and not not stopping the action and, and telling them to do it again while they're on camera and try it again and do it again and, you know, for comedy, but also just to keep the energy of all these crazy kids contained in the take was something I learned. So it is, it is, it is tough and it's not, it's not easy to get, to get the performances within the structure of time um, when it comes to kids. I think I'm, I'm pretty good at it though, or I was, uh, yeah. Now, after that, you know, you, how did you meet Adam Sandler? Because you, you've had a, a long relationship with him. You've written and you've directed. How did how did that uh, come to fruition? Well, since this is the story, the uh, origin story, it's interesting. I think I can plug in the Sandler equation back in the past. If those listening care to remember, I said that I was in the movie Sex Life Video thing. That became a huge movie at Sundance. And even though I had a small role, everyone thought I was an actor of note from New York. And I was from New York. Some people asked me, where are you from? I say, New York. And they thought, oh, he's a New York actor, undiscovered in L.A. So I got an acting agent. <laughs> and they sent me out for acting roles. And then I, if you see my MDB, I did like all these roles with really cool directors like Mike Nichols and Tim Burton because I knew who they were. And I was like, holy shit, if I can just be in their movies, even one line, that would be awesome. And because they were sort of always looking for the new quote hot actors or I was uh, like smaller character actors, they gave me these roles in, in, in movies and I started appearing in these um, really cool movies like Edward Scissorhands. Um, and at that point I had acting cred and my roommate was still Pete Berg who was an actor and he was, his career started pushing along and then he got a, uh, he got a call from some, his agent, I guess, um, saying there was a weird movie that was shooting on a boat in Mexico. It was going to be improvised. And does Pete want to be in it? And I, and he said, yeah, and Pete and I were so close. We were always, like, looking out for each other. He said, do you want to find a make be thrilled to do it? He just did stuff like the videotape. And the people, producers were like, yeah, so come on. We'll go on the boat. We'll improvise the boat. So we go to this um we, we sign up and go to New Orleans to uh, get on this boat and improvise a movie. And Adam Sandler is the star of this movie, and he's just been discovered in New York uh, as a 18-year-old comedian or 20-year-old comedian. And he's the star of it, and we all meet. I meet him in, uh, in New Orleans, and uh, we get on the boat. And uh, we do this horrible movie called, I think it's called Going Overboard now. I think that it was called Babes Ahoy <laughs> back then. But now it's called Going Overboard, and it's it's a bad watch. It's not a good, bad movie. It's kind of a bad, bad movie, sadly. But it was improvised. Like, you know, there was no structure, no reason it should have been good. Adam, of course, you can see why he's great and what is going to be great about him. But um, the movie's kind of silly. But uh, and I'm in it for a second, and Pete's in it. Billy Zane is in it. There's also Billy Bob Thornton's first movie, I think, where he got a sad card for saying one line. It's a funny movie if you look at it like that. Um, and, uh, and I met Adam there and Adam and Alan Covert, his friend and partner, I got, uh, friendly with him. And then he moved to LA after that movie before SNL. And I was working on that TV show, I said, and we became friends and I tried to help, help him out, but we just hung out more and became friends with him. 
um, Judd Apatow I met at that period, and uh, sort of when I was the one who was actually working and, uh, and getting stuff done, and they were just sort of trying to figure it out. We were all buddies and friends, and uh, and then they got their things, and we stayed together, working together. And, you know, it's always a dream after heavyweights. Like, oh, man, Adam's got this career going that he got, you know, going on his own completely through SNL work and uh, other stuff. And then finally, right now, Big Daddy, I was free, uh, and he was free, and I came out and worked on that. Or a wedding singer. I think I was in Wedding Singer before as an actor in a funny thing. I don't think I worked on Wedding Singer as a writer, but I worked on Big Daddy with him as a writer. And that started that run from Big Daddy, and then I wrote and directed Little Nicky after that. And Mr. Deeds took a couple years off and came back in the last decade and did a bunch of stuff with him. What's it like when you direct a friend? I mean, it's, kind of, you know, it's a guy you were hanging out with, and now it's at a point where you guys are good friends. You're both very successful. Is it... Do, do you have? Do you go back to that old feeling of like when you're hanging, you know, let's say on sunset, or do you sit there and go, okay, this is a business now? That's a good question. I mean, it is. It, movies are work for sure. There's schedules. There's pressure. There's you know, but you're supposed to be being funny and having fun, you know, doing these comedies. So um, Adam was super professional and smart about finding that balance of, you know. I think by virtue of having his friends work with him, that was enough. Because we didn't necessarily have to be like having, you know, we didn't have to be cracking each other up um, all the time because it was work. Um, but it was it was very comforting and fun to work with your your friends. And I always, had I not worked it out or not, I just I knew immediately. I just was always recognized Adam as a major star. To my credit, like even in that Shecky movie, or oh, it was called the Unspeakable Shecky Moscow. That's what the original title was. Um, that first movie, I was like, this kid's a star. And I saw a stand-up. I used to go to a stand-up. Um, and I was like, this guy is the best I've ever seen. And I just was in awe of him as, a, as an actor, you know, as a performer and his mind. And so to me, it was just really fun to engage with him. It wasn't like, uh, I was sort of like really um, excited to work with his talent and help um, refine it and define it, and um, I think he was like really happy to, to you know to make these movies too and um, and have a good time. But definitely, he's very work oriented as am I. It's like it ain't no picnic. It's like you know, it's more work, and we weren't we didn't have families back then, so it was it was you know a twenty four hour a day grind, a happy grind. But you know, making movies is is a grind. So, you know, you direct him in those two movies and you're directing, you're getting director going. Now, when you start directing other people, that first movie after you directed Adam two in a row, is it sort of different because it's not Adam? I mean, I know you're a professional, but it's got to be like when you're used, I'm sure you had certain clues or looks you could give Adam because you guys just knew each other so well. But when you do the movie after yeah. two with Adam, what was it like coming on set? Because you're like, it's like when a shortstop loses a second baseman. The first time I do a double play. Yeah. First time. So what was it like? That's a good one. Yeah, that's a good question, a good point. I, I, it's funny because all my habits were deeply, I mean, I did heavyweights and ducks. That was my own thing. And then I did a little indie movie that was personal called Late Last Night with Emilio. And, uh, and that was just sort of something I knew how to execute. And then the Adam movies. And then I did a movie called Without a Paddle, I think, was the one after that. And that would be the one where I didn't have Adam and it was a comedy and it was supposed to, 
you know, be like a, not an Adam movie, but be like a movie that, you know, would appeal to that same crowd. And so working with, now working with them was fun. It's funny because a lot of that shorthand, a lot of that, eh, I could direct them in with Adam. I, I, could, I could be like, eh, I don't know, I don't know, I don't know <laughs> about his face. And he'd be like, oh, let me try it again. And, uh, and that, that's not really the way you want to talk to actors you don't work with a lot. Like, I don't know, I don't know. <laughs> you want to be like, that was great. Um, try this or let's do it again. And, um, so there, I couldn't, I couldn't have that shorthand. Um, with, it was Dax Shepard's first movie, that movie. And who I loved and love and loved working with him. But a lot of my language I had to get like back to a sort of more formal, uh, how to, how to work with the actors. Um, sort of how to get the best performance out of uh, comedy, how to get the jokes, you know, it's always hard. That's really what you're going for is to get that, get the comedy on screen, not being forced, not being hacky. And uh, there are many paths to that waterfall. So I had to figure out a few without Adam because he so naturally has his own thing. Um, But it it worked out. I like that movie. Well, you also, around that time, you pretty much you stopped writing for a while. Was it because you wanted to concentrate on directing, yeah. or is it because you just didn't you didn't feel like writing, or it was because you were overwhelmed? I know directing a movie is a lot of work. People don't know that when everyone else goes home, you guys are sitting there in the editing room, you're looking at this, you're looking at that. There's all yeah. the, People don't get that. But was it just something that it was too hard at that point, or you just wanted to just completely direct? Um, yeah, I didn't have the time. I didn't have the time because it really took me like, you know, three, four months to just sit there and do nothing else to, to generate a script. I had done a script. I generated a script for that friend, Bobby Newmeyer back during all that. I took a movie that got made called Ready to Rumble. I mean, it got rewritten, but that was my original script that I had done. I think that was the last, uh, the last script that I wrote, a comedy script all by myself that got made. But, um, then, yeah, like when you're doing without a panel as director, I wrote, the thing is, like the directors or I wrote on all the movies I did uh, to a certain degree. Sometimes I wrote a lot, sometimes I didn't. I didn't get credit because the Guild, I think, properly says, you know, you can't just rewrite as a director and get credit unless you rewrite almost all of it or more than half of it. And I certainly never rewrote more than half of Without a Paddle or Drill Bit Taylor or... Um, Mr. Deeds, you know, I actually wrote a lot of Mr. Deeds, so I, I could add a cut on that, but it wasn't. We determined not to, just because I was like, I'll just be the director. So I kept writing um, on these scripts, but uh, I didn't. Uh, I didn't sit down and write on my own until until I uh, walk of shame, maybe like ten years later. I wrote a script that got made. I think I wrote some other scripts, TV scripts and stuff that didn't get made, but I wrote. I didn't write another script that got made by myself until 2010. Well, when you did Walk of Shame, did you walk in and say, um, hey, okay, I wrote the script, I'm going to direct it too? Or did they just know you were attached as a director? How does that work? Because, you know, you've had a career in both. So what did they, how did you deal yeah. with the studio? Well, that wasn't a studio. Well, it was a studio. It was uh, called Lakeshore, which is a mini nature independent studio. They had their own money, a guy named Tom Rosenberg who was a friend. Um, I'd been friends with them for a long time, and I'd always talked about figuring out a movie that they could do or I could do with them. And we just never found the right idea. And then I had this idea, the walk of the shame, I, walk of shame idea. I generally don't pitch movies and sell them that way. I have before, but um, this was something that I said, I think this would be really funny, this idea of a woman trying to get home after a night and everything that could happen to her based on movies. 
snowmobiles. Um, I just love those kind of movies. And Tom got it immediately and said, I'd make that movie. And I don't think I'd even written the script. So I just I did write the script on spec. No one paid me to write that script. I wrote it thinking, yeah, if I nail this, this guy, Tom will probably give me the money to make it. And that's what happened. What is that like, though, when you're writing a spec, a script on spec, when you've you've already sold scripts? I mean, does it get a little frustrating when you should just sit there and think, well, you know, I, I have a successful track record. All my movies have made money. They should just they should just dummy up and give you cash. I mean, does does as a writer and as as as, a, as just a person, how do you deal with that? Well, I didn't go out and so I didn't I didn't ask for cash with that idea. I sort of chose to, I could have gone out and pitched it as an idea um, and maybe sold it and then fought to direct it, you know, because they could have said, well, it's our idea and now you wrote the script. But So this was a way to control it. I, I didn't feel it was a, a bad move because I knew if I executed the script, I could get it made and on my terms. So it wasn't, uh, it was sort of a deliberate choice and it felt, it felt like the right thing to do to just control it, not get paid, get paid later. You know, big uh, spec means you know gambling on yourself a lot of the times, and I've always I've always liked that proposition. I'll always like sort of take back end. If you let me make the movie, you can pay me in success. Um, it's a lot of how I've gone about things, um, for better or worse. Well, you said now you made it on your terms. Was there projects that weren't on your terms that frustrated you when you were earlier in your career? Well, yeah, like that movie Ready to Rumble, I wrote that, and even though my friend was the producer, I didn't really control how it was rewritten or um, who rewrote it or how it got made, but that's sort of, you have to give that up. I mean, it's not frustrating, it's just sort of the way it goes. It's not my preferred way to work, which is why I haven't been a writer for hire, essentially, that much, because you don't control it, and it's really... When you're a writer for hire, it's not like, oh, they read your script and say, great, they make you rewrite it, rewrite it, and rewrite it. It's a lot of work. And it, to me, that wasn't as satisfying being a, a writer for other people. Um, yeah. And other frustrating experiences? No. I mean, Adam was such a, you know, uh, a advocate for anything I would do with him or anything I would do on my own. So he was, he was very powerful and could always help me. Um, get what I wanted or collaborate to get what I wanted. So nothing was frustrating about any of those. Um, and when I worked with Judd, another super big producer that just protects you from uh, from having to do or take notes you don't want to take from the studio or go in directions that you don't feel are right. So, and then when I do stuff myself, like Spock of Shame, that was pretty much everything I wanted to do with some obvious, uh, you know, collaboration with the producers, and then all the other Adam Sandler movies were like that, and now um, work, I'm working in TV now, doing the Mighty Ducks TV show, which is um, which is, that definitely has a lot of input from the studio and the network and Disney, and that's not as um, that's just sort of like something that you have to expect and deal with, but it's not like pure, purely creative endeavor, it's more like making product. Well, how did the Mighty Ducks end up becoming a hockey team? What's the whole What's the whole thing with Anaheim and you? Was there any relationship? I mean, how did How did it all happen? That um, 
Well, Disney, you know, like, like I sort of said, at Disney and he liked hockey for his kids, and I think that's why he initially wanted to get the movie going. And I think in the back of his mind, he wanted to buy a team for Anaheim. He was the head of Disney for Disney. And so when the movie became big enough, it wasn't like, it wasn't um, Jaws. Like, it was a solid hit when it came out. And Eisner said, I want to buy this hockey team, I think, to have a second hockey team. Um, Anaheim's great, and then saw the synergy idea of like, what if we actually call it the Mighty Ducks? And you know, it was sort of this idea of company synergy, uh, which was great, good for him. And so he made that happen by you know taking the property and assigning it to another Disney property, which was in most regards pretty damn cool. If that happened, in other regards, it was pretty whiplashy. Like, what you're taking? The thing I created and doing that, I don't have rights. I, I sold my rights to Disney, but I do have say and I do have like some rights. Um, so I was like, okay. But it was all positive because they made the Mighty Ducks 2 right away based on the idea that that team was going to happen. And we made more movies and, um, and it, just, it just became what it became. It has to be cool, though. It has to be so cool to sit there. I'm a hockey yeah. fan. I'm a Flyers fan. And they've sucked this year. Yeah. But uh, but it must be cool as a yeah. hockey fan and growing up being a kid that, that a hockey team is named after something you created. I mean, that's like you go to, you go to yeah. a party. You go to a bar in Philadelphia and go, hey, yeah, you know, the Mighty Ducks, yeah, that's me. Everyone would buy you a drink. They'd be like, holy shit, this guy, this guy, it's the Mighty Ducks. Not the I mean, Flyers. No, Flyers fans Flyers would love that. Me, yeah, we would. Okay, yeah, that's true. Um, yes, that, that is something I never forget how, it's so odd though, there's almost unprecedented, I can't think of another thing that happened like that, particularly since I was a hockey fan like you growing up, I liked the original team, Boston Rangers, um, Montreal, Toronto, and I was a Buffalo fan too, but, so I loved, I loved it, and then to, I remember looking at the, the newspapers when this happened 20 years ago, looking at the box scores for the NHL scores, seeing, you know, Ducks. Three to two over the Blues, and I'm like, wow, that is strange. Mighty Ducks. It was called the Mighty Ducks for years and years. Now it's called the Ducks. But uh, when it said the Mighty Ducks, I was like, wow, that is that is awesome. I don't know what to do with it other than go, that is awesome. I should have been getting three beers in the bars more, but uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. It's, it's, it's definitely people use the word surreal a lot, but that is a surreal experience. Now, now, how did you end up back with Adam? You know, because I said you you directed me. I could say, "Hey, he directed me on Sandy Wexler." But how did how did how did you end up oh, getting, yeah. how did you end up getting back with Adam? Was it something that you just missed each other, or he said, "I have this Netflix deal," or how did that how did that come about? Yeah, the Netflix deal. The Netflix deal um, with this new new um, project, and I just on Walk of Shame. It's funny because sometimes I do studio movies and then I. Generate. I did this movie late last night. I told you about um, after I did Heavyweights or something, and that was just for me to try to get a movie made on my right and direct. I take all responsibility for it. Um, and I remember Adam always like being impressed that I would do it, and like, and I did it again with Walk of Shame, which even though that was kind of a commercial movie, I had stepped away from studios and generated um, this thing by myself. And Adam had just signed the Netflix deal, had done the first one, the Western one, and I had just done Walk of Shame, and it felt like 
he looked at Walk of Shame again, and, and I think that made him think, oh, yeah, just like it before when, he, when I did the Linky in this other movie. He's like, oh, yeah, um, maybe we should work together on one of these movies. And and sort of that's what happened. It was just good timing, and our careers sort of, funny enough, um, circled back to each other. So I did this movie called The Do-Over for him, like right in 2013 or 14, um, after Walk of Shame. And, uh, and then we were back off and running. And then I, did I do the next one we did, I think? Was that Sandy Wexler? After? Yeah, so Netflix deal, it was Sandy Wexler, um, that one. And then uh, my favorite one in the middle was the, the special 100% Fresh that we did um, after, after Sandy Wexler. And that was really, that was a joy because like, I expressed how much I heard at that point. 25 years been a, a fan of a stand-up i've been going to shows i've been just a fan and a supporter and now to be able to work on um 100 fresh which was this huge tour that we did that i got to film all of it cultivate it all was just that was the best part that was a great circle back on our relationship how do you direct i used to do stand-up in the late 80s and early 90s and i you know when you're on stage you're in your own world but how as a director you you're not directing a stage performance, are you? I mean, how does that work? Because are you? Because I'm sure you know Adam's just Adam. He's a great stand-up, but are you directing? Because he has the instinct. He knows what the delivery. Because he's been doing it for years. Yeah. What's your input in in directing during a stand-up? Well, it can be different. In that show, it was capturing. You know, getting the right. It's, it's like a capture thing. You got this beautiful thing that you need to capture in the best way in the best light. I mean, as far as I'm not, you know, the material and stuff we would go over about set lists and stuff, but he's, he has his act and he has his, um, his, his instincts that are usually always right. But I have input on that stuff and input on, you know, how to, uh, maybe if, if we should push jokes harder or less harder. Um, so structuring that and everything, but that, other than that, it's about getting the right mood, getting the right look, getting the right tone, the right camera angles, and then editing it, which is a huge part of, what makes that special good because it was, you know, a combo combination of 40 shows edited together to give you this one cohesive point of view. Um, I just did a special for Netflix with a uh, comedian named Catherine Cohen, which is out now called The Twitch She's Gorgeous, which is um, capturing this great cabaret act that she had, but really adding as much as I could as a director to it um, visually and also supporting the act um, and, and working on the material with her to the extent that I was helpful. Now, when you did the Adam Sandler show, one of the uh, performances was in Newark, right? Do you remember? Yeah. Yeah, my friend, a friend of mine, a, of them, yeah. a friend of mine did video assist on that movie. His name is Lance Velasquez. Uh-huh. And uh, I remember uh -huh. he, he messaged me. He's like, yeah, I'm in Newark. I went to get a bottle of wine. And everyone's like, get back in the hotel room. He shouldn't be walking around late at night. But it was just funny because I remember uh -huh. when you were shooting that, that he was like, oh, I'm working on the Sandler uh, thing, and he was he did a bunch of stuff with you guys. Yeah. yeah. Well, Newark, that neighborhood's not so bad. I mean, we all have this need here like Newark, but that downtown area where the art center is pretty good. But uh, yeah, it was fun. Uh, that was a that was a, that was the last performance uh, of the tour, and, and a lot of the Newark trips are in the in the special for sure. But, now, tell me about Hubie Halloween. People love that movie. 
people love and, and I think it's because it's, yeah. it's a holiday movie. I mean, what did you do? You like tackling a a movie that people you, you know mostly are going to watch around October and November, September. Yeah. I mean, what is that like for you when you sit there and go, well, people aren't going to be watching it all year. But I mean, what is it? Do you just give it your your all anyway and say, I want to make this special for that time because Halloween is so special <laughs> to kids yeah. and family. I mean, it's just a special. It is. Holiday. I mean, that, that yeah. That was smart of Adam to make a seasonal movie. Like, uh, I don't. I think we, we talked about always. Oh, he did like uh, some other movie that is that's a guaranteed seasonal movie. Um, I can't remember, but yeah, a Halloween movie. He's always wanted to do one um, specifically for that reason that would be showed um, or watched or hopefully loved every every that time of year. And so that was definitely a, a part of making that movie, but also. He wanted to play this character that he had been developing um, for years called Canteen Boy from SNL. Um, and he said versions or sort of feelings of that character, but there was some sort of attitude from that guy that he really wanted to play as a, as a broader character, which is what this movie is, the broader character like Sandy and his duo was not. But obviously Sandler does the broader characters sometimes, and then he does the, the straighter performances. And that's where he just wanted to do a broad crazy, slightly different, spookier <laughs> Halloween-based uh, version of this uh, of this canteen boy guy. So what's next for you? I know well, the Mighty Ducks, what brought you back to that? Because you're writing more. I mean, you stopped writing for a long time. Now, do you, do you miss writing? I, I do. I mean, it's hard. I, I, I do. I wrote, I've written some things that I'm going to try or try to get made. Uh, I wrote my uh, version. I wrote a Huckleberry Finn uh, adaptation I, that I'm pretty happy with. Um, so that was something I, I worked on a few years ago that I really liked, just myself on spec, adapting that book um, to a contemporary uh, setting. And, um, and I wrote uh, some TV stuff. But yeah, uh, I want to get back to writing. Um, and I'm probably Mighty Ducks season two. I wrote a few of those, but I'm gonna um, I'm gonna move away and make a movie. I think in the next month, uh, next uh, this summer. Right now, we're in. Do your podcast come out weekly? Is this coming out like? Uh, this will come out like this. This will come out like two weeks. Okay, so yeah, we're we're in uh, late March now or mid March, and. Uh, I'm finishing up Mighty Ducks 2, season two, Mighty Ducks season 2 of the TV show, and uh, I'm going to hopefully start a movie that I didn't write, but I'm going to help rewrite um, this summer. Um, so uh, that's probably what I'll do. And um, and then I might circle back to Adam, which is just the way things tend to go. I'd love to get back and work with him, because he's got a few movies lined up for the next year or so, and maybe I can circle back with him in a couple years or... Um, or I, I should write, um, I should just, and I might, and you're inspiring me to sit down and just generate a new a new script for myself that I can do. Well, why don't you write a script that you can act? Because you act, you're an actor, you're a, you're a New York actor. Yeah, why don't yeah. you write a script you can act I and be in? I should. I would never cast myself, it's the problem. <laughs> I usually look and go, I don't know, I could give myself a small role, but I'm going to give myself a lead role. I would rather, I think there's more... There's better actors, but I can nail a smaller role. So I should definitely write myself a better, a bigger, smaller role. Yeah, I'd like to do that. Exactly. Well, hey, man, 
I want to thank you for taking the time to talk to me. Uh, you've, you've done some great work. Got it. And, uh, yeah, and people, look up Stephen Brill. Definitely look him up. Go watch all his movies. Watch his movies. Go watch all that movies. Ones he's written, ones he's directed. Even <laughs> go look, look uh, Sex, Lies, and Videotapes. You can see him in that. And, people, go to my website. Yeah. Keep, Go to my website, coopertalk.net. You can find over 900 episodes. Uh, email me, cooper, coopertalk.net. My Instagram's at coopertalk1. Twitter's at coopertalk. Remember, I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guest. Don't forget, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins, and I'll talk to you guys next time.